The Gospel of John emphasizes that the Lord Jesus Christ is God, the very God. Alright? So, I want us to always remember the theme of John, the Gospel of John. He emphasizes that Jesus is God, the very God. Now, we've been in the chapter 19, and we've been studying about the Lord Jesus' crucifixion. Um, in a few weeks' time, it's going to be um, Good Friday, that is the night in which Christ was crucified. And then Easter Sunday, um, three days later, the Lord arose, and the Easter Sunday morning worship service. So we are very close to that very special time of the year where we remember the Lord's death and resurrection. Now let's continue um, looking at the Lord's crucifixion on the cross. Now we've looked at verse, uh, chapter 19 where the Lord was crucified and even when on the cross, the Lord thought of His disciples and thought of um, fulfilling God's will, right? Remember? Can the Lord Jesus Christ come down from the cross? He can. Why did He remain on the cross? Because He came to die for us. He came to pay for our sins. Nothing, we studied, nothing could have kept Jesus on the cross if He did not want to be on the cross. He's God, the very God. He told His disciples, I can easily wipe up the world now. But that was not His intention. His intention was to save sinners, to die and pay for their sins. That is why He was on the cross. And then we studied how people mocked Him, right? How they made fun of Him, how they spat on Him, beat Him, um, humiliated Him, and how they used whips to beat Him till His back was all torn up before they crucified Him. So that was, the Lord Jesus didn't just get crucified. He was tortured before He was crucified, right, for the penalty of our sins. So that is the situation, and we continue. Look at verse 30, John chapter 19, verse 30. Remember, right at the end, He finally said, I, It is finished. It is finished. These were His last words on the cross before resurrection. <laughs> it is finished. Now, what does it is finished mean? It is not that it is over, I lost, and men won. The Romans won, the Jews won, they crucified me. It is not that. When Jesus said it is finished, it means the work that He came to do. Salvation work now is complete. Now, you have to remember, this is a momentous moment. Right from the beginning when men fell, God promised the Lamb of God, correct? God promised. Thousands of years ago, God promised that. Now, if at this moment, the Lord Jesus did not fulfill it, then the salvation plan is, is over. It's over. No man can be saved. So when the Lord said it is finished, He knew that He has completed the work that God the Father sent Him to do. That is why we can be saved. My friends, if you wonder why Jesus is on the cross, you always see Christianity, this man on the cross, why? He's not on the, on the cross for his own sins. He was on the cross because there is no other way for you and I to be saved. You cannot do good works. You cannot be a good person and hope that to get to heaven. Your sins must be forgiven. Your sins must be paid for. Your sins must be washed away. Nothing. If there were any other way, God himself would not need to come to go through that. That is the only way. That is why the Lord Jesus came. Now, so his crucifixion, it is finished. Now, let's continue. What happened after the Lord on the cross say it is finished? And, by the way, he died. He died. He died not because he could not stay alive. He is God. He chose to die. He chose to say, now I die. Right? So he chose at this point. Then he, look at verse 30. He bowed his head and gave up the ghost. He gave up the ghost. He came to die for us. Any of you can say that I choose to die? Well, I'm not, I'm not talking about committing suicide, but I'm saying, you say, I want to die now. You can keep saying, you won't die. I want to be born into this world. You can keep thinking, it. you won't be born. So God controls life. God holds life in His hand. Now, next, verse 31. Can we read verse 31 to 37 together, please? The Jews... Therefore, because it was the preparation 
that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath day was a high day. Besought Pilate that their legs might be broken, and they, they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first and of the other, which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was dead already. They break not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. And he saw it bear record, and his record is true, and he knoweth that he saith true, that ye might believe that for these things were done, that the scripture might, should be fulfilled, a bone of him shall not be broken. And again another scripture saith, they look, look upon whom they pierced. Let us turn to God in prayer. Our gracious, loving, heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your holy word, the record of our life, of the life of the Lord Jesus on earth. And Lord, we also pray that as we study about him, we would increase in our love, our devotion, our gratefulness to him. And Father, we also pray that as we study more about him, will we be more obedient to him. And Lord, tonight we ask for thy cleansing, for thy washing in the blood of Christ. Bless our gathering, be with every group that is studying your word. Lord, remove every tiredness, be in our midst, open our eyes, our heart to understand your word. Change our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. After the Lord died, the Jews, look at verse 31, the Jews, because it was preparation for Sabbath. Now, for the Jews, Sabbath day was to them a holy day and they cannot be near or touch any dead bodies, alright? So to them, they saw that the thieves were dead, they saw that the Lord Jesus is dead, so they went to Pilate and said, can you please um, take them down? So this is a um, crucial day for us, we do not want these dead bodies hanging there. So the soldiers came. Now, the, sol the Roman soldiers are very experienced in crucifying people. As we have studied, crucifixion is devised by the Romans and is the most cruel form of death. All right? It's very terrible. You, you, you will stay alive for very long. You will bleed. Um, you'll be in pain. You're only held up by the nails. You're only held up by nails. Can you imagine that? How many of you like to do pull-ups? After like a few minutes, your hands are shaking, it's hurting. The Lord is hung there by nails. Every time his hand, well, his hand is hurting all the time, in order for him to relieve himself, he will try to push himself up, right? But his feet are nailed. And then his feet were hurt. That is how the Romans um, devised this form of punishment for the worst criminals. So here is the Lord there. Now, why did they say to break their legs? To break their legs in verse 31. Because to the Romans, they know that when they break the legs, then the thief or the criminal can no longer push himself up, right? If he can't push himself up, then he'll be hanging like that. Then his chest will collapse. Then he will finally die of not being able to breathe. Understand? That's how they cause them to die. So they say, break their legs to make sure that they are dead. Then take them down. Now, when they came... Look at verse 32. The soldiers came. So they're very experienced. The two thieves, they look at them, mm, not dead yet. So they broke their legs. They were unsure that they will die. But when they came to the Lord Jesus, they looked and say, from their experience, they know he's dead already. He's dead already. No need to break his legs. But nevertheless, before they walk away, one of the soldiers says, just, just to be sure, he took his spear and pierced the Lord Jesus' body. They pierced his body. Now, why? Why? Because they wanted to look what comes out of his body. Right? And here, the Bible records, blood, in verse 34, blood and water came out. Blood and water came out. Now, if I were to pierce you now, all right, what will come out? Blood. Right? Red substance, red fluid will come out. Why did they want to pierce him? Because they know that if a man is dead long enough, his blood will kind of um, um, uh, bundle up inside and it will separate from the, from the, from the liquid, from the, from the water, understand? 
So when they see it's separated, it comes out different, it comes out separate like that, then they know this man is dead for some time already. Okay, that's, that's what all this means. Understand? This is what all this means. Now, when they did that, do you think it's by chance? Now, these Roman soldiers, they do not know, they do not know the Bible, the, the Old Testament, they do not read this. They just did what they would do. Understand that? But here, look at verse 35 and 36, or 35 to 37. Now, it says, now this is done in order to ensure that we know the record is true. What record? Verse 37, uh, verse 36. Now, the Bible writes more than a thousand years ago that not a bone of the Lord Jesus Christ will be broken. broken. Now, for a person to be crucified on the cross, to say that not a bone will be broken is a very big gamble to say that that will happen. This thousand of, more than a thousand years ago, verse 37, they shall, they shall look upon him whom they pierce. There is also prophesied very clearly, they will pierce the Lord Jesus Christ. What the soldiers did randomly in their mind is fulfillment of scriptures. Understand that? Now, I've preached at the um, Friday meeting, and some of you were here. Mathematicians have taken the prophecies concerning Jesus Christ, written more than a thousand years ago, and they look at, they compare it with what happened, what is recorded that, that occurred. And they say for, for a prediction, um, a probability of someone saying something a thousand years ago about one person and it comes true, it's, it's already very, very difficult for that to come true. And for so many prophecies being fulfilled exactly on one person, Christ himself, the probability is one to trillion of trillion of trillion of trillion. To them, basically, it's impossible. All right. Now, why, why is this so accurate? God tells us in verse 35, that and he saw and he that saw it bear record and his record is true and he knoweth that he saith true that ye might believe now this is the point that you might believe well you might say well all these are stories but historians also have attested that this is true would you believe would you believe someone asked me how would you you know, of all the religions, why, why would you believe in Christianity? Because there's no other, no other religious book like the Bible. It is not only scientific, it is the prophecies are uh, undisputed. So this book by that, by that itself, that you might believe. That you might believe. But of course, it's not just hate knowledge. As we study, we begin to realize that in our heart, God, we are sinners. We need to be saved. It is true. And we turn to Him. Embrace Him. So here, this occurred not for no reason, but that prophecies may be fulfilled. But I ask you another question. That's question number one, alright? So question number one is there now. Uh, what were the Jews worried about? They worried that Jesus was not dead. They're worried that Jesus was not dead. Why? And they're worried that it might defile their Sabbath. It might defile their observation of Sabbath. What were the Jews concerned about? This might defile our observation, our religious observation. Now, what do you think? Who were the ones, Chloe, who were the ones who say, crucify Jesus, crucify Jesus? Was it the Jews? It was the Jews themselves, right? They are the ones. And in their heart, the Jews themselves knew that they were condemning an innocent man. Because Pilate said, come on guys, I can't find anything wrong with, with this man. I've beaten him already. I've humiliated him already. I'm returning him to you. Is that not enough? But the Jews say, no, crucify him. Pilate, who is not a Jew, even he, he in his heart knew that this is all a joke. This is a kangaroo court. This man is innocent, but the Jewish Pharisees, the religious leaders, they still wanted to crucify him because they did not like the Lord Jesus. Because people began to, following, began to follow the Lord Jesus instead of them. Right? They got jealous. They got jealous. Now, this man looked so religious, right? 
Oh, we are going to observe our religious day. Can you please make sure that there are no dead bodies around? What hypocrites! When in their hearts they, they already knew that they have committed murder, false accusation, crucifying an innocent man. Now sometimes we can be like that. We are outwardly religious. Now Christians, we have to be very careful. Sometimes we are outwardly very religious. We do many things that when men look at us, wow, such religious people. But in our hearts, we are hypocrites. We must examine our hearts. Be true. God sees our hearts. There's, however we pretend, our parents may not know, our friends may not know, but God knows. God knows. Now what does it warn us about heart and lives? That is what I just said. It warns us that we can be very false people, right? Very hypocritical, insincere, not genuine. Now I hope that there is no Christian in this room that is like that, just religious, just religious. Ensure that your life, your walk is sincere before God. It's sincere before God. Now another thing that it warns us is this. Now all this, uh, question number two. Now, what do we learn about the many reiterations upon prophecies in Christ's suffering? Everything came true, right? Every single prophecy came true in the Bible about his suffering. Do you know what this means? That every prophecy about Christ coming to judge the world, every prophecy about how to be saved is all going to happen as well. How God has said men ought to be saved what is written in the Bible is going to happen exactly as what he said because it's been proven the Bible's prophecies are undisputed now, then it means this if you do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour then you have to ask do I want to gamble with that? do I want to take the risk? well, maybe this is all not true well, I suggest that you give it very serious thoughts because the Lord talks about the end times judgment the Lord talks about when we die our soul will leave our body the Lord talks about if we do not have Christ as our saviour is eternal judgment in hell you may think oh, all these are all these are, um, fables well everything that the Bible says have been true why do we want to doubt that so my friends I hope that you will turn to Christ as your saviour. Now, number three. Now, let's read, let's read the next scene. So here, they, they, they fulfilled scripture. They moved on. Now, what happened next? They took the body down, right? They took the body down. Let's read from verse 38 to 42. Shall we read together? And after this, Jesus of Arath... Are you there? Joseph. <laughs> All right, thank you. Uh, verse 38... I was wondering what, what happened. Now verse 38, And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. He came therefore and took the body of Jesus. And they came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night, and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, and about a hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with the spices as the manner of the Jew is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulchre where, wherein was no, never man yet laid. There laid they Jesus therefore because of the Jews preparation day for the sepulchre was nigh at hand. So what is the scene now? So two persons came to, um, to Pilate. Now Pilate was the ruler then, the Roman ruler. And these two men, one Joseph, the other um, Nicodemus, they came and they begged for Jesus' body. Alright, they taken down the body and they begged for his body. Now who were these men? Who were these men? Verse 38, Joseph of Arimathea, now, this man was um, a rich man, all right? In other parts of scriptures, we read about him. Um, he was also 
um, part of the Sanhedrin Council. Now, if you want, we turn to uh, Matthew chapter 27, please. Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27, verse 57. Matthew 27. Alright, now let's read together. When the even was come, uh, verse 57, When the even was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who was himself also a disciple of Jesus. Uh, um, himself was Jesus' disciple. Now, this man was one of those who, um, in, the, in the Gospel of Luke, when they wanted to attack the Lord Jesus, he was the one who was righteous. All right? He was one of the very few righteous um, Sanhedrin. Now, he came, he was one of them. In fact, this tomb that we read about, um, guess whose tomb was it? Now, this tomb was actually Joseph's tomb. All right? He actually had this, had this tomb. Now, back then, burial is kind of different from now. Now, we dig, we dig is it six feet deep. All right? We dig into the ground. Then, um, um, typically, it's in caves. In caves. Um, so, this sepulcher is, is like that. Um, so this man have already bought his own sepulchre, um, uh, prepared it for his own death, right? And it's it's nearby, and he came to ask the Lord, ask for the Lord's body. Now, who is the other man? The other man is Nicodemus, verse thirty-nine. We have studied about verse uh, Nicodemus early on in chapter three. Nicodemus was the man who secretly came to Jesus at night, and us is recorded here. He's the man who first came to Jesus by night. Now, how would you like to be named like that? Uh, who is Ignatius? Ignatius is the man who came by night. <laughs> right? He was known as the man who came by night. Now, why? At that time, he was the person... <clears throat> now, he was among the leaders, the Jewish leaders as well. He wanted to know how to be saved, how to go to heaven. But he was too embarrassed because the Jews would laugh at him. The other religious leaders would laugh at him. So he, but he knew in his heart, he had to know. And he went to the Lord Jesus by night. So no, by the cover of night, no one could see him, no one would know. And he asked the Lord Jesus how to be saved. So we always wonder, did Nicodemus get saved? Well, here we know. Nicodemus came by night, but now he came openly. Right? He came openly to Pilate. Pilate, please give me Jesus' body. He's no longer afraid or ashamed. Back then he was afraid, he was ashamed. But now he says, please give me the body. Now please know that for, for Joseph and Nicodemus to go and ask for Jesus' body is no small thing. Understand that? Pilate just crucified Jesus. Hmm? The whole bunch of Jewish leaders got Jesus crucified. Right? Now, you imagine you are present that day. The whole city, the whole city of Perth, one this man did, all right, and then they managed to do it, <coughs> and the governor did it. <coughs> would you dare to go to the governor? Uh, governor, can I have the body of this man? You would not, because you yourself might get into huge trouble, right? But here we have two disciples who love their Lord so much that they will go at the risk of everything. They wanted the Lord's body so much. To them, it's the last thing they could do for the Lord Jesus whom they love. Now, please not, do not forget this scene. To us, Jesus arose, right? To us, we know that Jesus arose and Jesus is living. But to these people, in their minds, they still have not fully understood that the Lord Jesus Christ will arise. Understand that? To them, they really want a dead body. How do we know? Because they even brought what? They brought all the uh, mixture of myrrh and aloes. A hundred pounds of it. To them, we are not coming expecting Jesus to rise. We are coming to embalm Him. This is how much they love Him. They are not thinking He's coming back to life. In their mind, in their heart. Now, sometimes I wonder. We serve a risen Savior. We read this, we know the Lord is alive. Do we love Him like these people loved Him? They love the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know? You know, when they bring all these things, you think they got something to gain? 
They got nothing to gain. When Joseph gave his, his, own, tombs, his own tomb, his own sepulchre to the Lord Jesus, he has nothing to gain. To him, it's like the Lord Jesus is dead. That's it. I have, I have nothing to gain from giving my own tomb. Now, you know, I don't know about us. All right? We don't think about these things. I remember once having a conversation with my, with my dad before he passed away. And then he says, oh, you know, um, I've, I've put aside this money, it's my coffin money, my funeral money, all that kind of thing. Then I realized that generation, to them, they prepare for all those things for themselves. It's very important. All right? So for Joseph to have prepared this, to give it away, he'll be like, then after I die, <laughs> if I, what's going to happen? I've got to look for another tomb. I've got to pay a lot of money all over again. Go through all these things again. But he just gave to a dead body. They brought these aloes and, and, and 100 pounds. That is a huge amount, all right? A lot. And these are not cheap um, embalming material. It's the best. And then they just to put it on the dead body. We are serving the living, the living Savior. We, won't, we are not even willing to, to give our time, our energy, our resources to the Lord. When we know He's living, here is to them a dead body. I hope we question ourselves. Now in fact, chapter 19 and 20, we will repeatedly see the Lord mentioning people like that. That when He was dead, what did the disciples do? And then we have to ask ourselves, are we like them? Now what else? So they, they brought all this to embalm the body. They took Him and brought Him to the garden and laid his body there all right laid his body there all right so i ask question number three now compared to joseph and nicodemus what would you have done for the dead body of the lord jesus if you were present then what would you have done well we are we say well i don't know but now you're living the lord is living then you have to ask yourself i have to ask myself what will i do what will i not be willing to do? How should I live for Christ from now on? Now, very often um, we see people who pass away, and then how the family, at the last moment, when the body, when the body in the coffin goes down into the ground, right? That is the most painful time, because usually, now usually when I conduct funerals, I always tell the families, please. Now, sometimes the family members are alright, they're still talking to relatives, they're they are fine, you know. But I always tell the family members at the point when, uh, at the funeral, at the point where the body is being lowered, the children, please be very close to your, to the living, the elderly, alright. Because usually that time is the most difficult time. Because to them, it'll be to see the body now being lowered and it becomes very real. There's the last time you're near to the body. You've lived with this person all your life. Um, could be your spouse, could be your parents. At that point, it's the last time you're physically close to this body. So it's, it's a time where most of them will break down. Some of them will collapse, right? The love for the body, for the, for the dead. And this is what they were feeling. This is what they're feeling. Now, I always wonder this, you know. Imagine we were with, we were at the crucifixion scene, right? We had the crucifixion scene, the people shouting, crucify him, and then um, they got their way. And then we are believers. We are in the midst, right? And then we kind of like, mm, better don't say too much because I might get crucified. In fact, the disciples were afraid at that time, right? We began to back off. Now, I wonder, I really wonder, then after the Lord's body is taken down, how many of us will just say this? Well, we followed him for many years already. Well, he's dead now. I guess we just move on with life. Alright? Right, just, I'll go back to do my business. Well, maybe now I just continue with my old life. Nothing much to think about. I always wonder, will we be like that? Or will we be like Joseph and Nicodemus? where we just continue to want to do our best. Even if this is the last time, last thing they could do for him. 
will we be there? I always wonder, well, how come Joseph and Nicodemus? Was Joseph and Nicodemus that among the 12 apostles? Or the 11? He was, they were not. But they were the ones who returned for the Lord's body. Hmm? So don't think that religious leaders are so great. Sometimes they can fail also. Don't think that, oh, the Christian world loving the Lord is, is the apostles, they are like that, but not me. No, we have Joseph and Nicodemus. Everyone must love their Lord like that. They were not there. They were not there. They moaned. They were sad. They were sad. We will read later, they moaned. Um, they were um, broken-hearted. But here, two men came for the Lord Jesus' body. Now, what else, what else happened next? What else happened next? Oh yeah, at this point, I need to address a theology. All right? Question number four. Jesus was buried, right? Jesus was buried. Now, should Christians practice burials or cremation? Burials or cremation? Now, you know it's cremation, right? Um, the younger ones, uh, uh, Jennifer, Chloe, uh, Veronica, Elim, and... And you know, the young ones, right? Caleb, Cornelius. What's cremation? Ilim, what's cremation? It's not putting cream in your coffee, right? It, cremation means it is about, they take the body and then they, they burn it. Right? Sometimes you go to funerals and then you see they have a, a crematorium. Um, they put the coffin into, the, into this compartment and then the coffin and the body is burnt, right? Cremation, and then they collect the ashes in the urn. That's it. That's called cremation. Okay, cremation. Understand that, young ones? Lim, all right? Cremation, they burn the body. Now, today do we have cremation in Perth? Very common, right? Very often. We see crematoriums um, in different parts of the world. Cremation, very common. Now, should the Christian practice cremation or burial? After you die, right, you grow old, older and older. Then, what should you tell your children? When I die, please cremate me, or should we say, when I die, please bury me? Which one? Now, uh, we know in our constitution is one of the things that we make clear. Christians should always um, be buried, not cremation. Do you understand why? Right? There's a there are biblical reasons, all right? not, because, not because of anything that we come up with ourselves. There are biblical reasons. Now, let's look at some of the biblical reasons why um, Christians should not practice cremation. Cremation is by fire, correct? By fire. Now, in the Bible, you will see consistently, all right? Consistently that Christians are always buried. Believers of God from Old Testament to New Testament, always buried. Always when, when believers are mentioned to die, always mention burial. But when it comes to unbelievers and uh, wicked people, you will see in the Bible always fire. Always by fire. There's always burning. Okay? Um, as a sign of God's judgment. Right? So for the Christians, you will always see. Now, I'll give you some examples. Now, can you think of one person? Can you think of one person who died and people wanted their body very much? Even Satan wanted his body. Who is it? Elim. Not Elim's body, right? Who? Can you think of who? who? Who died and then they wanted his body. Even Satan wanted his body. Huh? Anyone? Joshua? No. Moses, correct, Moses, Moses, to the point where God will make sure that the children of Israel did not know where Moses' body would be, right? In fact, the Bible tells us, now turn to Deuteronomy chapter 34, um, maybe Ignatius, you can just turn and share the Bible easier that way for Zach, Deuteronomy chapter 34, Verse 5 and 6. Shall we read together? Deuteronomy 34, verses 5 and 6. So, 
Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley of the land of Moab, over against Bat Peor. But no man knoweth of his sepulchre unto this day. Now God knew that if the children of Israel knew where Moses' body is, what would happen? They, they revered and honoured Moses so much, they are going to worship him. Understand that? So God says, Don't, you will not get Moses' body. You will not know where. To the point, what did God do? Look at verse 30. Uh, look at verse 6. And who? He. Who is he? God. The Lord. And God buried Moses in the valley in the land of Moab. God personally did the burial. How would you like that? God do your own burials. Well, this is pretty big honour, right? Now, let me ask you, if, what is the best way for the people never ever to find Moses' body? Obviously, burn it, right? Burn it, spread it to the wind. Moses' body, never be able to, found, to be found. But even when God did not want Moses' body to be found, God buried him. And God did it himself. Understand that? Now, this is just one example. Now, we look at other examples. Um, I'll just read to you, alright, for sake of time. You, you can go and write, uh, write down these verses. Now, in the Old Testament, burial. Sarah. Sarah, Genesis 23-29. Sarah was buried. Alright? Now, Abraham, Sarah's husband. Genesis 25, 8-10. Buried. Genesis 25, 8-10. Buried. Deborah, Genesis 35, 8. 35, verse 8. Buried. Jacob, Genesis 50, verse 3. Alright? Joshua, um, Joshua 24, verse 30. David, 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 10. Right? And many of the kings. Now, all this, in the Old Testament, always burial. Now, what about the New Testament? Now, I'll give you an example in the New Testament where even a disobedient believer... Maybe you guess again. Who were the two disobedient believers that died one after another? They went to church and they say, Oh, I sold everything that I have and here I'm giving everything that I have to the church. Who was it? Ananias and Sapphira, right? Husband and wife team wanted to lie to, to the church um, that he, they, they gave everything that they have. Now, God never asked you to give everything that you have. It's up to you. But they wanted to show off, right? Give the impression that they are so, so um, sacrificial. So, now what happened? Let's turn to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. Now, these two disobedient believers, which God Himself caused them to die. And then, uh, Acts chapter 5. Now, Acts chapter 5. Now, we know the story, alright? So, verse, um, chapter 5, let's read verse 5 and 6 together. And Ananias, hearing the words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came upon all them that heard these things. And the young man arose, wound him up, and carried him out and buried him. Now, here is a disobedient believer that God himself judged, and he died. Don't know how he died, heart attack, something. He died on the spot. What did the Christians in the New Testament church do? They buried him. Understand? They buried him. And then, you, then the wife came along. And um, the wife also lied. Now let's look at verse 9. What happened? The wife also was judged. Um, verse 9 and 10. Shall we read together? Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at thy door and shall carry thee out. Verse 10, Then fell she down straightway at his feet, and yielded up the ghost. And the young man came in, and found her dead, and carried her forth, and buried her by her husband. Burial again. Even for disobedient believers. But they are believers, alright? They are believers. So you can imagine these young people, they just finished digging the grave, they came in all tired and perspiring another one. <laughs> they didn't say, oh, another one. This, can we burn her? No, they buried her as well. Right? So the New Testament the same. Burial. The believers always burial. Now let's look at the cases where it is cremation, fire. In the Old Testament, for example. Now let's look. Cremate, fire, 
burning the body is always a sign of God's judgment. Understand that. So we don't do that. Now look at um, the case of um, Leviticus chapter 10. Leviticus chapter 10. You're very familiar with this, Leviticus chapter 10. Verse 15. Oh no, sorry. Um, verse, verse 1 and 2. Leviticus 10 verses 1 and 2. Let's read together. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein, and put incense thereon, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord, and devoured them, and died before the Lord. Now here the Lord cremated them himself. We have the Lord burying Moses, right? Why not, why not bury Nadab and Abihu? But God sent fire and took them by judgment. Judgment, like hell, always mentioned, is fire. Okay? Now, another example. Let's look at Achan. Um, Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7. Now, why am I giving you verses? Because I need you to be convinced, alright? Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7, uh, we shall read verse 15 first. Now, here, here the children of Israel uh, conquered this land, and the Lord says, anything that is accursed, that is accursed, burn. Let's read chapter 7, verse 15. And it shall be that he that is taken with the accursed thing shall be burnt with fire, he and all that he hath, because he hath transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he hath wrought folly in Israel. Now God says, no man will commit the sin of taking um, things from this land. If he does, he'll be burnt. He'll be burnt with the accursed thing. So when God talks about burning, when God talks about if anyone commits sin, burn them, it's always judgment. Understand that. What happened to Achan? Look at verse 15. Uh, verse 25. Achan, we know, he actually disobeyed God, right? Verse 25, let's read. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned him with fire. After that, they had stoned him with stones. They did not just stone them and bury them. You see, to the believers in the Old Testament to New Testament, they always knew fire, cremation is God's judgment. And when in case of Achan, it was cremation. Cremation. Alright, so Christians... Um, these are just examples. Well, other examples we have is, um, we know in Numbers 16, verse 35, um, Korah. Korah, God sent fire down and wiped them out as well, many of them. So, we also have Sodom and Gomorrah, and so on and so on. So, many different examples in the Bible. Every time, fire taking out a body, cremation is God's judgment. Right? So, Christians, I hope you understand why we don't do that. Now, but some say, well, what's the big deal? I'm dead already. Yeah? It's cheaper. Burial of cremation is cheaper. Is it cheaper? I don't know. I think some people think it's cheaper. I don't have to buy a land. Uh, it's cheaper to just put me on a shelf somewhere. Rental space is cheaper. So it's cheaper. I'm dead already. So what's the big deal? What's the big deal? Now let's turn to um, let's turn to Philippians chapter one, verse twenty. Philippians chapter 1, verse 20. Okay, Philippians chapter 1, verse 20. Now, can we read together? According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by my life or by death. Now here the Apostle Paul says, I want God to be glorified in my body. Not only when I'm living, even the way I die, how I die, what is done when I'm dead, I want it to glorify the Lord. Right? Fire, cremation does not glorify God. It's a sign of judgment. It's a cursed thing. All right? So Paul says, in life or in death, Christians, we cannot think, well, I'm dead, whatever. How we will die, how we will glorify God by our death, we must give instruction also. 
Okay, so that is important. Now, I've been going through this series with um, the Chinese elderly um, on the theology, theology of men. Have you all been studying theology of men? Just finished, right? FEBC students? No. Theology of men. Anthropology. Now, in the theology of men, you will see in the Bible, God values the body. Understand that. You must understand. God values the body. When God created Adam and Eve, did God just create spirits? He created angels, right? But he created, when He created man, He gave human bodies, right? Bodies. And remember, after we die, if you're a believer, you die now, where does your spirit go? Your spirit goes to be with the Lord in heaven, immediately, right? Spirit. Now, let me ask you, why is it that God will say, all right, great, die, 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 then all your spirit come. Great, all of us in heaven now. It's the end. But God promised that He will give us a glorious body, right? At rapture, our body and our soul will come together. Why did not God say, ah, let's forget about your body, you know? Anyway, your body isn't that great on the earth. Some of you are too fat, too skinny, haven't been taking care of your body. Just forget about your body. No, God says, I will bring your body and your spirit back. Because the body matters to the Lord. Understand that. In anthropology, you will understand the body matters to the Lord. Now, um, i give you an example. Now, let's turn to uh, Romans, chapter, uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. The body matters. Now, shall we read Romans 6, 4 and 5? Uh, 4 and 5 together, please. Reading. Therefore, we are buried with him in baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together with the likeness of death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Christ, later we'll see, Christ resurrected bodily. Christ did not just say, I died, I paid for your sins. Alright, job done. Why must Christ resurrect? Cornelius, why must Christ resurrect? Now, after Christ died, He already saved you. He paid for your sins, correct? So it's done already. It is finished. Why must Christ come back to life three days later? Because saved already, paid for. Want to try, Cornelius? To fulfill the prophecy, um, yes. Okay, um, Susan, why? Why must Christ resurrect? Your sins are paid for, finished on the cross. But he still wants to come back in the body. It proved that he has conquered death, um, yes. But this verse tells us, we shall also be like in the likeness of His resurrection. Because God intends for us to have a body. Understand that. That's why Christ came back bodily. His resurrection is to ensure that we will have that final state of body and soul. Not just body, and not just spirit in heaven. Okay, so the body is important. We can't say what I do with the body, living or dead, is not important. My friends, do you understand why Christians? You must know that your body is the temple of who? The temple of the Holy Spirit, right? The body matters. You can't choose to dress how you want. You can't choose to do whatever you want, destroy your body with, um, with substance and all that. You cannot. The body belongs to Christ. He redeemed your body also. Understand that? All right? That is why we have to make sure that we do not um, put God's name to shame by the way we use our body. Understand that? That is a principle. We are not, we are not cults. We, we are not cults like, oh, we don't like people to dress like that. That is a reason because the body is precious to the Lord. It reflects Him. He came back to give us a resurrected body later on. He's the first, alright? Maybe we'll follow. Okay, so take care of how we represent God in this body. That's why Paul says, Christ shall be magnified in my body whether it be by life or by death. Okay? So, there's a principle. Now you understand why. Hopefully one day, some elderly person in church, they walk and say, ah, I want to be cremated. 
and then you can help them to understand. Okay? Now, so that is the principle. Now, I want to move on quickly to tonight's lesson as well. So, let's continue with Mary in the next chapter. Let's turn back to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Oh, that cold. John chapter 20. Okay, quickly, now let's read. Um, now, I want to just cover a few things. But I think um, we're kind of short of time. I'm kind of, I was hoping to cover Mary in one go. But maybe I cover one thing first, all right? Do you know the scene about Mary? Um, because Christians get very confused. Now, let's read chapter 20, verses 1 to verse 2. Uh, sorry, 1, 2, 3. Reading together. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark unto the sepulchre, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulchre. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter, to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have laid him. And Peter therefore went forth and the other disciple and came to the sepulchre. Alright, so now, I need you to understand the scene. Oh no, this looks... Okay. Um, now, in here, because many are confused with this scene. Now, in here, we have the description of, of Mary. Now, let's read another part first so that we get the whole picture. Can you please turn to Mark chapter 16? Mark chapter 16. Mark 16. Okay, this is another description of the same scene. Alright? Now, can we read from verses, Mark chapter 16, verses 1 to 4. Reading. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome, and brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto sepulchre at the rising of the sun. And they said unto themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulchre? Now, these two scenes, we just read that there's Mary, Mary Magdalene, and then there's Mary of Salome, is it? And Mary, the mother of James, and Salome. Alright, Mary, the mother of James, and there's there are three ladies mentioned, right? The three ladies mentioned. Now, they say early in the morning, these three ladies went to the went to the tomb. Right? Went to the tomb. You know tomb, right? So there was a big rock in front of the tomb. Um, the, 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 um, the Jewish people and Pilate made sure that they put a big rock so that the, bo the body of Jesus that was inside um, cannot be... He can't escape. Right? Because Jesus has said many times, I die, three days later I'm coming back to life. So they say we need to make sure that he can't come out. So they put, make sure they put uh, very strong soldiers there, this huge rock there. Now, so these three women early in the morning, as soon as Sabbath is over, they know they can move, they quickly came with their, their embalming materials also. See how much they loved the Lord? And they came. Now, people began, very began to be confused when they read this. Alright, three came, now, we read earlier in John that Mary, that Mary Magdalene Mary Magdalene came and then saw that the stone was open and then she ran back and, told, and talked to, went back to tell Peter, right? Went back to tell Peter. Now, people begin to say, oh, there's a contradiction in the Bible, alright? Because you read, now, you're, you're at Mark, right? You're at Mark, you're at Mark, and then verse 4, verse 5. And entering into the sepulchre, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. Now, these were the angels. So, it's recorded that the, sto that the stone, the big rock was rolled away, right? The big rock was rolled away. They saw, they saw. Now, then later they say, but when in John, now, can you please keep your bookmark on Mark 16 and turn back to John. John chapter 20. 
Okay, John chapter 20. Now listen carefully. Eh? Now watch this. In Mark, it is said that they saw. They saw the body was gone and the angel, I don't know what angel, the angel told them the body is not here. Correct? The angel told them that the body is not here. So, they, so people who read the Bible say, oh, I want to prove that the Bible has error. Now you look at John chapter 20. Now, it says, verse, now verse 11, uh, verse 11, But Mary stood outside the sepulchre weeping. And then um, she saw two angels that spoke to her. And it was like the first time. She said, oh, now angels talking to her. Mary Magdalene. So she said, oh, this, all these are, you see, the story can't, can't jive. Because it was said that Mary, they saw. But now another scene Mary, two angels talk to Mary, and then Mary as if she never saw it before, she never knew about it. When you read, you have to understand, the scene is this. Three of them came in the morning, understand? Three of them came in the morning. Now, Mary Magdalene, when she saw the tombstone, the, ro the rock was rolled away, Mary Magdalene immediately oh no, the body of my Lord must have been stolen. Before she went any further, she you turn back. Alright? Alright, so she's maybe some of you ladies. So you made three ladies. So one is like, see, ah, and then run back. Alright? But but the, the other Mary and Salome, they continued to stay behind. Understand? Then the angels spoke to them. But Mary already, Mary Magdalene already before she went any closer, she ran back. The second scene that we read is when the angels told these two, then these two went back, alright? And then Mary, she came back alone. She came back alone. Understand that? So I draw again, huh? There's no confusion. And actually when you understand this scene, it's a very touching scene. It's a very touching scene. So here is the rock, the stone rolled away, the entrance. Three of them came. Alright, three of them came. Mary from seeing afar runs back. Hmm? Angel talks to these two. She ran back and told Peter. Peter and John. We believe it's John. Peter and John first first account that the Lord's body is missing. They was from Mary Magdalene. Understand that? Mary Magdalene. Then they dash back. They dash back. But these two have already heard from the angels and they are on their way back. Somehow they never met. It's a different route. Understand? Different route. So this, these two came back, but Peter and John already went there. And then when they were there, they saw it was empty. Peter and John also went back, but Mary Magdalene stayed behind, alone. Understand? She was alone. Alright, CP, you look a bit confused. Can? No. Three came, one ran back. Mary Magdalene ran back. Then Mary Magdalene later came back alone. There's no contradiction of the scene. Okay? So if you're confused, ask me later. Now why? This is a very poignant scene um, that we are going to read now. Now, can we now just... Now, we know Peter and Mary, they ran. Now, just one quick one. Eh? Now, let's read verse... Now, Peter and John ran there. Now, let's read what Peter and John saw. John chapter 20. Shall we read from verses 6... Um, 6 and 7, let's read. Then cometh Simon Peter, following him, and went into the sepulchre, and seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place itself. Now I ask you this question, in, in question number... Um, where is that? Ah, number six. What is the significance of the folded clothes? So you read. So you, you, you guess, huh? You try. So Peter and John reaches there. And the description was, the Lord's body is not there, right? But so many things to describe. But the description in the Bible given was, remember Joseph and, jo uh, Joseph and Nicodemus took the body. So back then, they embalmed, they wind it up in linen cloth. So it's, it's wound from a body like I guess kind of like tied together a big cloth tied together kind of thing 
all right? And then they embalm. Now, um, and of all the things to describe, it's described that when they went there, this embalming cloth and all that, they were folded neatly. When you, um, Veronica, when you wake up in the morning, do you fold your, when you change, do you fold your pajamas neatly and put it on the bed? <laughs> Eileen behind, yes. Veronica, no. Right? So this went there and every, the, the clothes were all neatly folded. Right? In fact, to the point where it's just like original, original position. Yeah? Original. So you say, you go there, you say, hey, that whole embalming cloth still in its original state. The cloth all folded nicely. Why the description of that? Why? Zach, you want to try? So you're the investigator, investigating the scene. You come to this tomb and you say, oh, the embalming cloth is intact. Someone unwrapped the body, um, very close, but didn't seem to be unwrapped. It's like nice. Now, you heard of tomb raiders? Now, back then they have the same. People love to go to tombs to steal things from the body because back then people bury with, with their precious things, right? Now, the description of that, what do you think? Elaine, you want to try? The body disappeared. And the cloth was just nicely flat. Why describe this? Is to prove that the body was not stolen. Understand? If the body was stolen, no thief will make sure that we don't disturb the cloth. Uh. Just pull out the body. No thief does that. They will just rip the cloth and throw it everywhere. Right? The parsonage recently got, got, got broken into. Everything was thrown everywhere. Always like that. When robbers do that, when the robbers rob you, they do that, right? By the way, the new students who are here, make sure you lock your doors, lock your windows. Right? So they ransack everything. So number one is to prove, because the people begin to say later on, remember the Pharisees paid a lot of money to the soldiers and say, go and tell people his body was stolen. But those cloth will say that it was not stolen. The body was um, in place. Now anyway, with all the embalming, uh, you know how difficult it is to steal the body? It will be... Number one is 100 pounds of embalming. These guys put a lot. And you try to carry this body that is full of oil. It's just going to keep falling off, right? So, all this description is to let us know, his, number one, his body was not stolen. Number two, the fact that the Lord could come out of it perfectly. It was a miracle. It was a miraculous resurrection. Understand that. He just come out of it. Now most, if we were inside, we were like, oh, I have to use the finger to tear one hole and then start to rip and toss everything apart, right? The Lord just came out of it. That's it. That is a miraculous resurrection. So all these are written that we may know. Um, it was not an ordinary um, situation. Now many today still um, um, say that, oh, all these are false and, and all that. Um, I shared with one of you recently. Now, do you know that is, I forget to check his name. There's a very famous criminal lawyer, right? Now, he has never lost a single lawsuit. Anyone remember his name? Strubel. Strubel? Ah, yeah. Now, he has never lost a single criminal lawsuit in his career as a lawyer. Okay, so lawyers will be interested. And he's in the Guinness Book of World Records. Now, when he retired, he said, you know, I will use my um, forensic skills, my analytical mind uh, to go and prove that this Christian belief that this man called Jesus resurrected is all false. Hmm? And then he spent, after retirement, he spent many years traveling to all these sites, looking at all the evidences, all the records, and he finally came to one conclusion. The evidence is so overwhelming that it has to be true. And he became a believer. I think the book he wrote was something like along the title of um, the evidence, evidence that demands a, a decision or something like that. And he came, he, he says, this is true. I can't deny it that this Jesus arose. And if Jesus arose, can any man die three days later, resurrect in this way? Not possible at all. 
This is God indeed, God the very God, who proved, some, one of you said, why? Now, why is this important? It proves that Jesus himself has power over death. There's no point him promising you, you, you salvation when he dies, he cannot resurrect. Every founder of every religion never dared to promise such a thing. But this is God himself. He gives lives. He himself is the one who um, can give life and control life. So this man, he examined the facts and he said, this is true and therefore this must be God himself. As the Bible has claimed. And he became a believer. Until today, he defends um, the resurrection. So the resurrection is very important. If Christ did not arise, then we are hopeless. We are hopeless. We die and that's the end. We have no resurrection. Alright, so next lesson, we will learn about Mary Magdalene. Uh, you go back and read and try to... Um, Read it yourself. It's a very touching scene, and I hope that we would be like Mary Magdalene. All right, let's turn to God in prayer.